open there to Exodus chapters 4 and 5. You do not have to turn here. Let me read to you a passage, a New Testament passage as we begin. Move this in case I pace. I want to get these guys really good. Something like that. By the way, let me also mention, please refer to the email that I sent out. I've heard from some of you. I imagine that I need to hear from more of you that you would like to join us for our fun time this Wednesday night. So this Wednesday will be a bit of a, a kickoff, a little bit different than what we typically do. Um, so we're, it's, it's going to be at 6 o'clock because of food. Okay. Now, if you don't stay home because you can't make it until 6.15, no, come on, come on. But uh, let me know uh, so that we can have a head count as much as possible. We appreciate that. Of course, everyone's welcome. Normally, we're at 645. This is going to be at 6 o'clock this Wednesday. And so then the plan, Lord willing, next week, um, and we pray, Lord, help us as we kick off uh, more focused ministries, even as we always meet together in here as well. All right. So, again, hear this brief passage from the New Testaments. You stay in Exodus. I'm reading to you two verses from Matthew chapter 2, and it says this. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there, says he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Okay, so that's Matthew 2, 14 and 15, where he also quotes Hosea 11, verse 1. Hosea 11, verse 1. Today we are in Exodus 4 and 5. Let us us truly seek the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Let's take even a moment of silence. Bow your heads with me. Great God, our Father, thank you that you are a God of, of revelation, that you speak to us, that you have revealed yourself to us, you have given us your word, and your word is Jesus Christ, and you have given us the, the scriptures the Word of Christ. Lord, we thank You even uh, last week for speaking to us through Your Word in 1 John, which reminds us of of John chapter 1, the Word became flesh. And Lord, that wonderful hymn that we were singing during the offering, Lord, we 
We make that our prayer, Lord. Speak, O Lord. Humble us under Your mighty hands. Lord, what is best for us is that we would be humbled and recognize that we are sinners in need of a great and a perfect Savior. Even a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shed His blood for us on the cross. Lord, help us through the Holy Spirit, we pray. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, we want to continue looking at the early chapters of Exodus and focus on Moses with an ultimate focus on God. This morning, uh, I want to speak to you about this. Here's the title this morning. The title is, One of the Strangest Passages in the Whole Bible. Okay? One of the strangest passages in the whole, one of the resources that I've been consulting, I notice, didn't touch this. And I said, that's a sign, I've got to do it. Uh, But the title this morning is, One of the Strangest Passages in the Whole Bible. There's going to be two main headings. That's going to be the second of our two headings this morning. Okay. Now, one of the things that you'll see that we want to talk about this morning is the issue of circumcision. One of the things that we'll talk about a bit is circumcision. You may know that passage where Paul, in Galatians, he says, But I, brothers, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So we do want to talk about circumcision this morning, but putting that aside for a moment, putting that aside for a moment, let me ask you this question. And if you're familiar, if you've been around Christianity for any length of time, if, if you're familiar with the book of Exodus, then you'll, you'll get this question. And if not, that's okay. I don't want to take too much for granted this morning. The question is this. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Before you answer that question too quickly in your mind, before you think you know the answer to that fully, do you know the answer to that fully? What does the Bible say? What what does the text say? That's really, right, all that matters. What the text says, God says. So I present to you that question again. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? I said this morning that I have two headings. And I mentioned already that the second is the same as the title. One of the strangest passages in the Bible. But first, because actually chapter 5 is going to help us to get into chapter 4. First, look with me at chapter 5. First heading is this. Bricks without straw. First of our two headings this morning, bricks without straw. Look again at verse 1 of Exodus chapter 5. Please look at the, at the scripture with me. It says there, as we're thinking about this heading, bricks without straw. It says, afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, 
that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. I don't say that it's an exact parallel, but I've said to you so many times, you know, what is the definition of atheism? And the definition of atheism is, there is no God, and I hate him. This is somewhat similar to Pharaoh here, as we see in verse 2. Who, who is the Lord? Who, who is Yahweh? Why should I listen to his voice? And, and no, no, I will not let Israel go. Look at verse 3. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Who's they? Well, it's Moses and Aaron, right? Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, said to them, Moses and Aaron, I see what you're doing. He basically says, I see you're stalling. You're promoting the laziness of, of your people, Moses and Aaron. Verse 4, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. This is, this is the heading that I mentioned, bricks without straw. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But their, their quota, but the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them, you shall by no means reduce that. Skip down to verse 10. Look at verse 10. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt, to gather double for straw. Bricks without straw, Exodus chapter 5. Well, what do we see here? What do we see? What we see is we see a negative response and a positive response. If we include the end of chapter 4, then we see, please notice with me, we see a negative response and a positive response. The negative response is in what we've just read. The negative response is illustrated by Pharaoh. The word of God comes, and listen, the same thing is true today. The word of God comes and there is what? There is disbelief. There is disbelief. So the negative response is illustrated by Pharaoh. It has been said... It has been said that there are two fundamental responses to the message and the messengers of God. Listen to this. There are two and, and only two fundamental responses to the message and the messengers of God. One response is to believe and to serve and to worship. And the second response is the Pharaoh response. It is to disbelieve, and it is to also not only to disbelieve, but to hate the messenger. 
to hate the messenger and further to lash out. To lash out, to strike out against the message. Well, where's the positive response? It's at the very end of chapter 4. I'm just making the point, friends, and the same thing is true today, that there are only in this world two fundamental responses to the messenger of God as long as he is being true to the word. That's the key thing. There's only two responses to the message of God. There's only two. One is disbelief and even hatred of the messenger and to lash out. And the other positive response is illustrated at the end of chapter 4. It's illustrated by Aaron, first of all. Look at verse 27. You see chapter 4, verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. Of course, it was a custom back then, you know, in the New Testament, greet one another with a holy kiss. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Chapter 4, verse 28, Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak. Moses told him, what? The words of the Lord and all the signs that he had commanded him. And and Aaron believed. Aaron received. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that He had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshipped. So the the negative response is illustrated by Pharaoh, chapter 5. The positive response is illustrated by Aaron. Uh, You don't have to answer it out loud, but who else? The positive response is illustrated by Aaron and what? At the very end of chapter 4. Look at the Bible. At the very end, by the people of Israel, right? By the elders and by the people of Israel. What What did they do? At least temporarily, okay? At least they received the word, they believed it, and they worshiped. Because, my friend, God is a God, and it's just true today, He is a God who sees His people, and He sees them, He sees us in our affliction. He sees His people today, as the end of verse 31 says, just as He saw them then, He saw them in their affliction. They bowed their heads and they worshiped. Please hear me. This is the appropriate response. It's only by grace. It's only by grace, but this is the appropriate response. Let me make it as plain as I can. If you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today, crucified and risen for sinners, there's only two ways to live. To live the way of disbelief and either even lashing out in hatred or to live the way of receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship, gratitude, grace-based obedience. You remember that Paul said in the New Testament that to some believers, to some people, believers are a fragrance of life and to some a fragrance of death. And that's what Moses was. That's what Moses was. I want to get into the meat this morning, which again is the title, one of the strangest passages in the whole Bible. Before I do that, let me just make sure that we kind of know where we are in this story. 
really, this is a section, this is a unit. Maybe this will help, help us a little bit. This is a unit from chapters 3 through 7. Okay, chapters 3 through 7. And what's, what are these five chapters about? 3, 4, 5, 6, yeah, I got it right. What are these about? God promises to deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt. That's simple. Yes, Israel is going to struggle to believe. But that's the big idea in these chapters 3 through 7, is that God promises to deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt. Okay, with that being said, and with our total of two headings, with number one being bricks without straw, let's look at heading number two. And this is verses 24 through 26 of chapter 4, okay? I told you that one of my helpful resources skipped it. Shame. We're not going to skip it. Heading number two, one of the strangest passages in the Bible. Look at Exodus 4, 24 through 26. Exodus 4, 24 through 26. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him. Who's that? Moses. And sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. This is heading number two. One of the strangest passages in the Bible. I want you to see the context. Please look at verse 18. Look at chapter 4, verse 18. Thank you for your patience in going to these various passages. Look at this. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife, Zipporah, and his sons, like Gershom, and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Now look at Exodus 4.21. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But, who's speaking here? The Lord, right? But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Look at one of the strangest passages in the whole Bible again. Look at it. We've only read it once. We need to read it again. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. And if we're following the story at all, we should be like, what? Where did that come from? That's out of nowhere. That's seemingly, right? Seemingly out of nowhere. Verse 25, Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. 
It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Well, what in the world do we do with that? And first of all, I don't claim to have the answer to end all answers, but as we look at this passage, and as we also want to be careful to go on to receive the lessons that I think God has for us in this text, in His Word, let's at least try to say a few things about this strange passage, which is certainly, if not in the whole Bible, then surely in the Old Testament, one of the strangest passages, at least there. Well, what is this? Well, in Exodus 3 and 4, we have the call of Moses. You may remember we've talked about that old saying, you know, uh, God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. God does not call Moses, He does not appoint Moses, He does not choose Moses sovereignly because of something intrinsic to Moses. It's not, in other words, it's not because Moses was good that God said, Here's a good man. I want you to lead my people. I want you to be the human savior of my people Israel to ultimately point to the savior that is to come. No, it's not because of any goodness in Moses. And that of course is the pattern of the Lord God that we see clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He chooses the weak. He chooses what in the world's eyes amounts to foolishness. He chooses the poor. He chooses those who are not qualified to show His power and to show His glory. So in Exodus chapters 3 and 4, what we have is the call of Moses. The call of Moses. And as I said earlier, if, we're, if we know this story or if we're following along at all, the Lord God appears to Moses at the burning bush, and it's awesome. And then... As I say, we come to verse 24, and seemingly out of nowhere, seemingly out of nowhere, the Lord is on the attack. Do you see that in verse 24? The Lord is coming against Moses. Now, this is, there are various interpretations about 24 through 26. Okay, let's just be super clear about that. There's various interpretations. It seems like probably... It seems like probably that perhaps Zipporah, Moses' wife, has been maybe on Moses to get this done. To get what done? Well, to get the Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17. This is not a matter of indifference. She's perhaps been on him to get the circumcision done of their firstborn. You know, one of my favorite quotes that is near and dear to my heart goes like this. If a man tells you that he will do something, then he will do it. You do not have to keep reminding him every six months. And that's just such a great quote. And perhaps, perhaps that's what's going on here. Perhaps Zipporah has been, Moses, we need to circumcise. Now Moses is an Israelite, right? But he's not been living among his people, right? He's been living in exile. 
Because you might remember that he took matters into his own hand and he killed a man. And so he was exiled both from his adopted family, the Egyptians, and from his biological family, the people of Israel. So in one sense, we can understand it. It's not been maybe top of mind. Oh yes, I need to circumcise my son. But that does not compromise Genesis chapter 17 and God's covenant with Abraham. The covenant with Abraham. God was not joking about that. In the old covenant, I think you could say circumcision was everything. The Old Testament talks about circumcision of the heart. It points to that. But primarily in the Old Testament, circumcision is a physical matter. Let's, Of course, we know what that is. It's the cutting of the foreskin. And it's not unimportant. In one sense, it's everything. And so perhaps she has been saying, and perhaps he has been saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to do it. Stop bothering me. Okay? Look at the text again. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. And this is serious. Then Zipporah took a flint. This was Moses' job. This was not supposed to be her job. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet, which we are told Moses' feet could be a euphemism for his genitalia, touched his feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. It's one of the strangest passages in the Bible. Now, there's a good brother who uh, died a couple of years ago. I think he was British, and he died in his 90s. He's helped me a lot. His name's Alec, uh, Alec Matir. And he says this. So there's different views. Here, here's one view that I'm going to put forward, and I'll give this to you. So listen carefully to this. What's going on here? Here is one very possible scenario. Probably, it seemed at first sight to Zipporah, that Moses was suffering a seizure or some other illness that had every appearance of being fatal. So they're at a motel, right? They're, they're, they're at a motel, some type of lodging place. And probably, he says, she sees him having some type of seizure or illness that, that appears to be, oh, this, this, he's about to die. It had every appearance of being fatal. Presently, however, she realized that its cause was not physical, but spiritual. And not demonic, but divine. Somehow, ultimately because of God, somehow she realized, wait a minute, this is not just normal, it's not just because he's an old man, because God called him when he was an old man, right? We're never too old to serve the Lord. No, she, she perceives this is spiritual. This is not natural. He says this, by the way. Listen, he says, the Bible carefully avoids the two extremes of saying that every sickness is an oppression from God or that no sickness is an oppression from God. I think that's really biblical. We don't, we don't like to think like that. But the Bible says, okay, you don't have to say when you're sick, this is from God because he's punishing me. No, you don't have to say that. But that doesn't mean... That doesn't mean that God never brings sickness as a form of chastisement and discipline. 
you just can't accept the whole Bible and, and hold that view. There actually is both. There actually, we don't have to adopt the, the worldview from back then. We don't have to adopt that worldview that, that every sickness is a chastisement from God because that's not true. But that doesn't mean that we throw the baby out with the bathwater and say that that sickness never has anything to do with chastisement from God. Okay, but listen, listen. Somehow, in the present instance, it was given to Zipporah to know that the problem was that their son had never been circumcised. If it's true, if it's true, based on this, Moses is looking like he's having a seizure. This is spiritual. This is because... Our son is not circumcised. In other words, at the heart of Moses' family, there was an offense against the will and the word of God. God who had commanded that Abraham, the covenant man, mark himself out by the sign of circumcision and as the one to whom the promises of the covenant had been made. God had commanded that the sign be given to Abraham's infant sons. Let me finish this quote. We do not know why Moses had disobeyed, but what we do know is this, that the Lord in effect said to him, you cannot go on in my service until you are right with me. That's his view. I take his view that the Lord is coming to him I mean, think about the Lord's Supper, Corinthians says. Some of you have died. Some of you have died, Paul says, because you have not examined the body. In essence, the Lord is probably saying to him, you cannot go on in my service until you are right with me. Zipporah saw the problem. It should have been, it was Moses' duty. Alec Matir says that she took the foreskin and touched it to Moses as though before God to say, credit this to Moses. Lord, would you credit this, that Moses did what he should have done even though I'm the one who actually did it. And suddenly, and suddenly everything was okay. Right? Look at it. Look at it, verse 25, Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. What does that mean, so he let him alone? Well, it means that God no longer was seeking to put Moses to death, right? It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. What are some lessons for us today from what we've seen? And what have we seen? Looking at the early chapters of the book of Exodus and we're focusing on Moses, the human Savior, and all of this has to do with God. And there's two headings this morning and the first heading is bricks without straw and the second heading is one of the strangest passages in the whole Bible and hopefully seen a little bit more of what that means. Let me ask you to listen and to look carefully. Look at me and look at the word. What are some lessons? What are some lessons? And let's start with our main thing. Our main thing is one of the strangest passages in the Bible. If we have three or four lessons, then let's start there. Let's start there. 
And again, I am helped with these as I studied. And this lesson seems to be from this passage, knowing, beloved, knowing that we are not made right with God through our works or through our our obedience, also knowing that for Christians through Jesus Christ, obedience is not an irrelevant matter. So this first lesson, this first lesson has to do very simply with obedience. As it has been said, the Lord treats obedience with a seriousness that is very different than how we often treat obedience. We treat obedience, listen to me, you who name the name of Jesus Christ. Do you name the name of Christ this morning? Do you call yourself a Christian? Do you know that it is your privilege and joy by grace to walk in paths of obedience to the Word of God? That having been saved by grace alone, it is grace that also leads us into the works, Ephesians 2.10, that He has prepared for us. In this instance, it was as clear as day. Genesis chapter 17. There was no ambiguity about it. There was a delayed obedience on the part of Moses' part. You know we say this as parents, right? There comes a point, and it's really not that long, to where delayed obedience becomes disobedience. So what we have here on the part of Moses was disobedience. The Lord did not say, oh, that's cute. He came after him to kill him. Obedience. Disobedience is a serious matter. You who are dabbling in gossip, dabbling in pornography, dabbling in white lies and these types of things, repent, repent, and look to Jesus Christ. Look to Christ. He has not saved us or freedom in terms of what we call licentiousness. But He has saved us for freedom. Galatians 5.1 It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Freedom to become a slave of Jesus Christ. Maltier says this, Listen, only by returning to the way of obedience could Moses continue to walk in the way of service. Do you want to serve your King? Christian, It should be our beating heart. I do not say perfectly. I do not stand up here as one who perfectly emulates this. But do you want to serve the Lord in any big or small way? Every day, we repent of our sins. We say, Lord, I look to Your Word. I pray to You. Help me to just look to Your Word, even if it's in one verse. Lord, through the Holy Spirit, give me understanding and help me to obey what I see. So that's one lesson there from that passage the beauty and the power of Christian obedience but what about another lesson what about another lesson and that is the hardening of Pharaoh's heart would you look at the text again who hardened Pharaoh's heart
Let me give you, we're going to look at verse 21 in a moment. Let me give you the short answer and the long answer. You ready for the short answer? Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Short answer, God. Long answer, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Long answer, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Short answer, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, if you're new to Christianity, if you're new to the book of Exodus, this introduces something that's going to go on for maybe 10 chapters, okay? This introduces something that's going to go on and be very important for about 10 chapters. Look at verse 21. Exodus 4.21, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. You see in verse 21, would you please notice this, what we call a purpose clause. Look at that. What do I mean? But I will harden his heart so that... God has a purpose. It's for His glory. It's for the display of His power. It's so that He will be seen to be exactly who He is, which is the awesome God of the universe. Do you see the purpose clause? So that He will not let the people go. God's purpose was that Pharaoh would not let the people go. So that ultimately He would get the glory in salvation through judgment. Now, in these next ten chapters, here's what you have. Let me keep this really brief. Here's what you have. You have times in the next ten chapters where the text, and can we please listen to the text in everything? Can we listen to the text in everything, including this? You have times in the text where it clearly says, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And you have times in the text where it says, just as a matter of fact, and his heart was hardened. And then you have a lot of times to where it says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so many people say, well, look, Pharaoh's, this is obviously extremely common. Many people would say, well, Pharaoh hardened his own heart and then God confirmed him in that hardness. This is from the book Providence that I've shared with you before. Listen to this. The point is this. Whether it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart or that his heart was hardened, in each case the hardening is happening as the Lord had said. God's hardening is not described as a response to what Pharaoh does. Do I fully understand this? No. There is mystery here. Every human being is responsible before God. Every man and that means boy, girl, man, woman, every human being is responsible before God. But as sure as the day is long, this text does not say that God is a passive actor. In other words, this text does not say that God merely did something in response to Pharaoh. It is the other way around. What Pharaoh does, his self-hardening, is, de is described as the effect of what God does. So last week we introduced a hymn, and it's called, by, by William Cooper, it's called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. 
and I was encouraged by your response to this hymn. And, um, and let me just give you this for just a moment. God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Or how about this one? Ye fearful saints. No, it's not. Listen, you fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. You want a God who is able to help you in your life, which is to say you want the God of the Bible who is over everything. And of course, as we've said before, we do not shy away from saying again, Ultimately, this points to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 that the most heinous thing in the world was not Pharaoh. The most heinous thing in the world was wicked men like us putting Jesus on the cross. And Acts 2 and 4 says that God predestined that to happen. Till on that cross, listen to me, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on Him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Well, if we had time, if we had time, we could linger, and I would linger. I will not. We could linger over verse 22. Verse 22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Israel is my firstborn son. The Bible calls us in Galatians sons of God. That's not disrespectful of the women. Ladies, you want to be called a son of God. The Bible calls us sons of God. The Bible calls Israel the son of God. Who is the son of God? Well, it's, it's us in Christ. It's Israel. Hosea chapter 11. It's Jesus. Matthew chapter 2. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Israel failed and failed and failed. And Moses and Aaron went to the people. Listen to me. At the end of chapter 4, you've been patient. You've been patient. At the end of the chapter 4... They go and say, we're going to deliver you. And the people are like, yes. And they worship the Lord. And just one chapter later, they're complaining against Moses and Aaron. And they're saying, you guys have made us stink in the nostrils of Pharaoh. He's making us make the same quota of bricks with no straw. We have to get the straw. And they used to provide the straw. And it's because of you guys, Moses and Aaron. You see, you see people lash out at the messengers. They lash out. And Israel failed and failed and failed until the true Israel came. Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, Out of Egypt I will call my son, which a little bit refers to out of Egypt literally in Exodus, but ultimately out of Egypt, Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ. I want you to remember as I close, and you don't have to turn there, I want you to remember Colossians 2.11 and Ephesians 2.11. You can look these together as a family today. We talked about circumcision. And I just want you to, this should be easy. Colossians 2.11 and Ephesians 2.11 through 13. Okay? Colossians 2.11 and Ephesians 2.11 through 13. We all know what circumcision is. But friends, circumcision or no circumcision does not matter. In the new covenant, in the new covenant, what matters is a new creation. What matter in the new covenant circumcision, which was which was everything in the old covenant. It was everything, does 
not matter. Man, that's amazing. That's amazing. What matters? Are you a new creation in Jesus Christ? Do you know that Jesus died on the cross for sinners? Is your simple faith and hope in Jesus' death on the cross for sinners? Have you ever looked to Christ who died on the cross as a sinner substitute and rose from the dead? Have you ever looked to Him by faith so that you will live? Circumcision, the cutting off of the foreskin, the circumcision that matters is the cutting off of Christ on the cross for us. So I'll just give you one of these. Colossians 2.11 In Him also you. Are you a believer this morning? In Him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. By the circumcision of Christ. Christ was cut off for His people. Look to Jesus Christ and be saved. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for this circumcision of Christ. We see in the stories of His birth and of His infancy, we see that He and His parents did all things in keeping with the law. So we are not anti-law. Your commands are clear. And You have told us that circumcision doesn't count for anything. Uncircumcision doesn't count for anything, but faith working through love. But a new creation, and this is only possible because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that You are a holy God. You are, the Bible tells us, God is love. We know that Your judgment is coming against the world of sinners. And may we find refuge, not in circumcision, but in Christ and in His cross. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.